Welcome to episode six of the Forward Together podcast, series three of the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean, joined today by Paul Gosling. How are you, Paul? I'm grand, Jared. Good stuff, good stuff. Right, Paul, we have been talking about Citizens Assemblies and about 900 of these podcasts that we've been doing, and we finally get to talk to Jane Souter. Uh, do you want to tell people who Jane is and why um, or what she brings to the Citizen Assembly conversation? Yeah, I'm really pleased that we were able to have that conversation with Jane. In fact, uh, Jane is the Professor of Political Communication at Dublin City University. But even more important than that, she is the academic that has been overseeing the Citizens Assemblies in the Republic of Ireland and has been drawing out the, the lessons from the City and Citizens Assembly. So really no better person to speak to in terms of having a conversation about Citizens Assemblies. Yeah, and that's great because, as I say, a lot of people have been talking about them. Um, but what it, Jane's been really clear. She's saying they're not a panacea. They're not, they're not going to solve all problems, but that they are a really good way of looking at a challenging issue. Absolutely. And, and it's worth reflecting on the some of the issues which they have looked at, because obviously people know about same-sex marriage. They, talk, they know about abortion, stroke, uh, women's reproductive rights. Uh, they may be aware of the work that's been done around climate change, but we now also have issues around gender pay. So there's been a really significant breadth of issues that are challenging, that are difficult, that are being considered by citizens' assemblies in Ireland. Yeah, and I thought it was particularly interesting that she talked about the need for moderation when it comes to citizens' assemblies and, and that a good piece of moderation will have will result in a really good result from a citizens assembly yeah you need a moderator you need the information you need to make sure that they're conducted properly because if they're just left to themselves they won't actually achieve the right outcomes they won't receive the they won't give you what you want because they haven't been given what they need so yeah. yes it's the role of the moderator at the center of this that's really central to to getting them sorted out and, and working properly Okay, well, let's hear the, the conversation that you had with Jane now. So th thanks very much indeed, Jane, for agreeing to do this podcast. Uh, one of the, the themes of the podcast we've done in the past uh, two series has been the importance of the role of citizens' assemblies in resolving some of the most difficult political challenges in politics in the South. Um, What's your overview in terms of the experience uh, of, of the Citizens' Assemblies in the Republic? Yeah, well, obviously, the, um, so the, the history of some of the better known ones, especially the ones that preceded referendums, is, uh, is, is very well known. And of course, often invoked to, to kind of demonstrate that salient or contentious or polarising uh, issues can be discussed in this kind of, I suppose, relatively dispassionate way, um, allowing people's true values to emerge and so on. So I think people were particularly surprised and taken, you know, after the uh, Citizen Assembly on Marriage Equality, which obviously the politicians were involved with and then, you know, was one of the key elements leading to the referendum on marriage equality, and then followed up by the one on the, on the 8th. So there's certainly, you know, very encouraging evidence from there. You know, we've done research to show that, you know, not only are they good processes in themselves, 
but they also improve the wider information environment in the in the rest of society. They they tend to lead to people voting more in line with their values or with greater levels of knowledge and understanding. But I think you know, just as a word of caution, there there can also be they can then be seen as some sort of panacea, and um, which of course they're not. You know, they're not some sort of magic uh, bullet so you know hopefully we'll be able to discuss a little bit of that as well and of course as well as about being about uh, women's reproductive rights and uh, same-sex marriage there's also been uh, an important one on environmental sustainability uh, and there's another going on at the moment as well isn't there yeah so there was marriage equality um there was the eighth refer eighth refer referendum there was one on blasphemy which led to a, refer to a referendum. There was one actually though on the age of the president um, and that was held on the same day as marriage equality and didn't go through. There was basically no media attention paid to it uh, whatsoever. And then there was one on climate change which led to the parliament, the dog calling um, a, a climate emergency. It's behind a lot of its proposals are actually in some of the um, climate bill that has just recently been outlined here. Um, and then there's one currently, actually in a couple of weeks' time, is its fi final weekend on gender equality, which um, will have a lot of recommendations, but one of them is likely to be um, a, a decision on whether or not to call for a referendum on removing a quite co controversial clause in the Constitution on a, a woman's place being in, in the home, as it's colloquially known. Uh, my perception from, from the North is that the other important element of the Citizens' Assemblies has been to enable a random section of the population to drill down into more information. So it's, in a sense, a combating of the social media age where people reach opinions without having done any research, without necessarily knowing what they're talking about. Is, is that a fair assessment? Yeah, so that's definitely part of it. So there's two kind of parts there, if you like. So there's two... Um, there's two really important uh, principles behind it. One is inclusion, that you know all of the different uh, voices that would be affected have the opportunity to be included by it, and that's why random selection is so important. Because obviously, if you have these kind of forums or constitution conventions that countries, including the Republic, would have had before, you know they're full of constitutional lawyers and you know other people who kind of have a stake or different vested interests that. Um, the marriage equality debate would have been dominated by people on either end of the debate, so very polarising. So the, the idea is to bring in the kind of middle ground and the people who wouldn't normally be involved in debates, people who wouldn't normally be on community councils or tennis club memberships or whatever else it is. Um, and the other thing is moderation. So it's important that people are willing um, in some way that they might be able to moderate their views. Um, they might be willing to change their minds on on some things. They might be willing to uh, to to compromise. And really important part of that is actually the information environment. So you learn um, an awful lot. People's knowledge increases. Um, their levels of information increase. And one of the things we find there actually is that that can lead to an increase in what's called other regarding behaviour. So an increase in empathy and, be, and being able to put yourself in the uh, the place of another person who, who this is affecting rather than um, just thinking about uh, about your own position.
And is it uh, possible to say what the other longer term impacts of being involved are? I mean, does it lead to people who have been involved in that process displaying more interest in the political system, for example? There's, so we need to do more research in this. You know, obviously with research, we're always limited by funding and then new projects coming up and getting people to do it. So in, a, in the Republic, we haven't systematically gone back uh, to different people. So we can only tell you anecdotally. In uh, Belgium, they have gone back systematically to some people and they found that there's a difference with the people involved, but also that they talk to their friends and family. In British Columbia, they found this as well, that it kind of dissipates throughout the, the community because people go back to their own small communities, to villages and to towns and so on, and talk about what they've heard. Um, and this can make a difference. In Scotland at the moment, um, there's one on uh, climate change and they had another one on, you know, what sort of Scotland we want. And there the citizens were involved in going out and talking to local radio and talking to local media about the, the kind of things they were discussing. So it's not just about the, the impact on the, the very few who participate. You know, we really have to think about the, you know, what are the kind of mechanisms that move from those people into the wider community and what are those kind of effects and, and impacts and so on. So it has a type of ripple effect across the community. Yeah, yeah. And what, what other positive outcomes do you see from the process of assemblies? Well, there's there's different ways of, of, um, of thinking about it. So in, in one way, they can be seen as a, as a shortcut. So as a people who are very busy in their lives see that other citizens like them have spent time considering an issue and so they use it as a as a kind of heuristic as a kind of a shortcut and they go oh okay those people did that so i can sort of rely on the the fact that they will have interrogated that evidence and i don't have to look at it so carefully um but then there's also the thing that um for people who do look at it in more depth, it brings a, a sense of legitimacy. And it also, because the information provided in these is usually information that it's very much set out on both sides. It's, you know, good practices that it's set out as um, kind of reasonable standards of literacy that people don't have to be university graduates to, uh, to be engaging with this, you know that uh, there's, you know, useful infographics and, and that kind of thing, that it actually improve, it allows people to, to delve into the debate and into the evidence more. And it also improves the, um, the kind of evidence that journalists can use on, on both sides because it acts as a, a sort of repository for, um, for information that, that, has been, that has been vetted and that you can use it from both sides of an argument. And I suppose with some of these issues, it can be quite difficult for a journalist or anyone else who's interested in researching a subject to find legitimate, honest sources. And the process of researching for a citizen's assembly then gives you uh, a, a basis of, of legitimate, honest reporting of a subject. Yeah, and you can, you know, like there might be some, some journalists and some outlets that don't like some of us or think, it, think it's biased, you know, but there will have been a group of people whose job it is to try to look and try to sure, ensure that it's as unbiased as possible, or that if anything does come, if any evidence does come from somebody on a particular side of an argument, 
that it's balanced by somebody who's on a different side of uh, of that argument. So it's very rarely that like a redacted article w- would get through or or that kind of thing. So it's just gone through extra layers of uh, of peer review, and therefore it's easier to rely on. Now, of course, we, we're not saying that people shouldn't engage in critical thinking or that it's absolutely perfect or any or any of these things. But just it's a reasonably solid sort of baseline source from which to start your own research or, or make inquiries from and to think about and bring your own thinking and reasoning to, I suppose, would be the, would be the thing. What about negatives? Are there, is there anything that you can see as having been negative about the process? Well, you know, so one, you have to be very careful around the process. So it's, you know, who's actually going to decide who the experts are? You know, who, who's going to decide who is um, neutral on um, on either side. Um, you know that's pretty contentious. Um, who's going to decide which evidence can can actually be used? You know, so there really has to be an element where it's bottom up as well as top down. So the the members involved um, actually have a voice in being able to suggest who they would like to hear from, to suggest different types of evidence. That there's very careful evaluation that um, if there's any feeling of bias, that that's corrected and, and that it's brought in. And then the, the other thing is, of course, you know, what is the actual link with the, with the political, with the representative system? Because this is actually about bolstering the representative system, not about uh, being an alternative to it. So you need to have that kind of engagement where, you know, somewhere in the representative system is actually going to take on board some of these recommendations that come out, that they're going to engage with them in a, in a, in a good faith way. You know, there's a conference on the future of Europe coming up and there's going to be lots of local ones. And it's not at all clear, for example, that Europe will engage with those, you know, rather just with a kind of a European level. So, you know, Scotland was a really good example of that, you know, where it was, um, they, they're actually bringing the citizens in to the Scottish Parliament, some of them. They're going to talk about their report and their findings on climate change. Um, hopefully they're going to actually find a place for them in the COP that's coming up in Scotland fairly soon. So they'll be able to talk about their report and their findings there. So it's just important that, you know, they're not just seen as sort of a box ticking exercise that you just say, oh, great, thank you for the report, you know, bye bye now, you know. That they are engaged with, uh, they are engaged with seriously. I, I think it's important. I insert in the conversation at this point the fact that we have had people that are strongly unhappy, critical of citizens' assemblies, people who are elected politicians who feel it undermines their uh, status, their their role, their credibility. Um, how do, how does one tackle that that uh, criticism? Yeah, it's a very natural reaction and it's what, you know, usually when uh, politicians anywhere in the world are um, faced with a citizen assembly in the beginning, they often say, you know, we already have a citizen assembly, it's called the Dole or it's called Westminster or it's called the House of Commons or, you know, whatever it's called. Um, And that's obviously a very natural reaction. Um, Now, I know in the Republic and in Scotland and in France and Belgium and Canada and places, um, the way you get over this is to say, well, look, these people are coming in on a specific topic in a specific time period, and they're feeding their report back to you. So you as politicians listen to uh, vested interests all the time. 
So if it's economic ones, you're listening to trade unions, you're listening to employers, you're listening to uh, farmers groups, to transport groups, whoever it is. But there's very few ways, if any, for ordinary citizens to have their voice in as that kind of interest that's represented to power in the policymaking environment. So this is one way to actually see, well, what would the people think if they had the opportunity to really look at the evidence and to really think about it? So it brings a different element. It brings another dimension into your policymaking. And as a politician, you're obviously representative of the people. So if you can actually find what it is that the people would say in this kind of an environment, all it can do is enrich your policymaking, enrich your decision making, um, and allow you to do it on the basis of better evidence. But there is, of course, a significant difference between the Irish political system and the UK political system, in the sense that we have a first by the First over the post uh, system in the UK, whereas you've got proportional representation, not only in Ireland, but I think by the sound of it, most of the countries where citizens' assemblies operate. Uh, does that create an additional tension, do you think? I mean, uh, does it nag away at politicians' sense of confidence that they represent their electorate, uh, even because they don't have to get over 50% over the line? Well, in proportional representation, they actually, you know, you get five people, so there's often people in Parliament who maybe got under 10% in their constituencies, you know, depending on on, uh, on on where they come in. So no, I don't think that that makes a difference. And I think it's interesting that, you know, a number of committees in uh, Westminster um, initiated a, a citizen assembly recently. Um, and obviously they're all elected by first past the post. But again, it's just a way for them to ascertain what it is, not just that their constituents, but the constituents in the, the wider country or the whatever polity it is that the, the assembly is, uh, is drawing from would think. So I don't think that first past the post um, should, should make a difference. Like all it is, is looking for an additional input from another voice that you don't normally hear from in a coherent way. I know when politicians and the one of the things I was struck by, the, the first constitutional convention um, consisted of one third politicians in the in the Republic. And one of them said to me that he found it really enlightening that normally he was used to dealing with his constituents when they had individual level concerns, that there was something wrong, they needed something with the local football pitch, or uh, there was a pothole in the road, or they needed something done with their passport or social welfare or whatever it was. But they'd never actually really engaged with their constituents on matters of policy, such as marriage equality. And so this um, was enlightening to them, having these sort of discussions with ordinary citizens. Um, and the seeing how seriously the, the citizens took these kind of discussions, how seriously they took the role, how invested they were in it, how willing they were to really work quite hard, you know, listening to um, policy debates, which most people, um, to be fair, aren't used to listening to, um, you know, and how much they really gave. So the all of the politicians who've been involved were, um, I think without exception, you know, fairly... Um, fairly impressed by the citizens and it wasn't a way that they'd normally dealt with their constituents before and they actually found it um, really interesting and really gratifying to deal with constituents on that basis. Now in the north we've had one citizens assembly so far looking at health and social care. New Decade New Approach commits to there being at least one per 
period of time. Um, what do you think are the lessons from those in the South in terms of uh, administering, running, operating citizens' assemblies in the North in the future? Yeah, well, I think there's some lessons from the South, but, you know, I think really you have to look quite carefully and sort of say, look, you know, this is really quite, um, quite a divided society and it's quite polarised. And while issues such as marriage equality and, uh, you know, reproductive rights and everything are quite polarising, um, you know, south of the border, the, you know, trying to to deal with things about identity is even more polarising. So I'd say the very first thing to think about is to say this needs to be um, about issues that are cross-cutting. So, um, you know, you need to you know, perhaps even have a have a bottom-up approach to it. One thing I was really struck by is that there's a, a children's parliament in um, in Scotland. And I, I know from the kind of the, the life and time survey that's done in the north, you know, there's a lot of issues that uh, young people have in both communities uh, that, are, that are very cross-cutting. I think it would be really interesting to kind of have feedback from something like a youth parliament into an annual thing like this. I think the focus should be on cross-cutting issues. You know, there are some very deprived areas in Northern Ireland in uh, in both communities. Um, and I think to focus on some issues around deprivation, you know, what can happen, maybe drugs, maybe, you know, I don't know, this kind of an issue, um, where it matters to both communities and where you can build an interest in the process where the citizens can hopefully actually come up with some real solutions that might work. Um, I think that could help build trust among the representatives, among the, um, the um, members in Stormont, among MPs in Westminster, among councillors, among uh, others, but also among citizens and, uh, and civil society groups. You know, I've seen there's an increase in kind of um, civil unionist and nationalist groups now. Which is, uh, which is really interesting. So I think it's a focus on those sort of cross-cutting issues, a focus on youth would be really helpful um, and would really allow something like that to embed and to build up trust. And in the literature, there's a concept called the deliberative system. So to try to enrich and, and nourish the deliberative system in Northern Ireland, to try to move some things away from kind of polarizing issues of identity, I think would be very useful. And one of the other things that needs to be stressed is that uh, one of the changes in particular since the Good Friday Agreement is that there is a third community, which is probably the same size as what would be regarded as a Protestant or Unionist community or a Catholic and nationalist or Republican community, which is the, the people who don't really fit into either, but are often ignored within the main structures of the political system. Absolutely. And there's minorities within minorities, you know, like the, there's issues around race and ethnicity as well. You know, so there are lots of cross-cutting issues. There are lots of things that can involve people from all sorts of communities. And I think it's a focus on those, a focus on, you know, what is it that can improve the life of, uh, of all citizens in Northern Ireland, no matter, you know, where they identify. And I, you know, that that is certainly certainly where where I would start. And in previous podcasts, we've heard uh, suggestions from people that would like very much, as you say here, 
uh, small scale citizens assemblies, not necessarily one that deals with the problems of the whole of Ireland or the, the whole of Northern Ireland, but actually looks at the problems in a particular area. So suggestions have been made about bringing people together to consider how you would get uh, teenagers to avoid being trapped by paramilitary engagement or alternatively how you'd bring people together on two th sides of a peace wall to talk about how you would get bring the peace wall down and how you'd bring those communities together. I mean do you think there's a validity in that idea of a small scale approach uh, to assemblies? Yeah, yeah what, I, what I think I've been thinking about this and I think what could be really useful is to look, there's a model in uh, the German speaking part of Belgium called Das Belgium, where they've, in, they've instituted a citizen council. So the citizen council is made up of, you know, some randomly selected citizens, but also there are some politicians in Northern Ireland. It could be politicians, it could be citizens groups along with them. And what they do is they are the people who then go out and can uh, call citizens juries so those are small scale ones that you might have on either side of a peace wall, you know, 30, 35 people um, involved in them. Um, so you can have several of those in a year. You can have one bigger assembly on something that's actually um, matters to, uh, it's a cross-cutting thing across Northern Ireland. And you bring together these different events that are overseen by this one central um, institution that's institutionalized. And there's a there's a commitment from the representative system that, you know, the local councils will debate these if that's the level that they're at, or that Stormont would would debate it if that's the level it's it's at, and, and so on. Um, so I think it would be really useful to kind of think about that sort of Ostbelgian model and have a central sort of citizens council that can then call these. So rather than having a lot of ad hoc ones done separately and needing separate learning and every you know, different um, local area or local council or uh, county or or whatever it is, that you've got this one centre of excellence and of expertise that can then call these, can then initiate these smaller ones um, as well as possibly larger ones. And then that really builds the expertise, it builds the trust, it institutionalises the idea of deliberation, the idea of trying to come, come together to discover some shared values and, and so on. And presumably composition of, a, 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 of an assembly is, is core to building trust, etc. because there are lots of other ideas about community engagement, for example, participatory budgeting and so on, but you still have the problem about how representative a group is. So how do you ensure the, the random character and the reflective nature of, of, of an assembly group? But there's lots. Of, so the the OECD has a really nice report now, catching the deliberative wave, which has you know a lot of the good principles behind it. We're now working. I, I work with them on an advisory group. We're working on ways to kind of evaluate it now. But there, you know, it's the principle of the random selection. So it's deciding who are the people who need to be represented in in this area. You know, so if it's either side of a peace wall, then obviously those are the people who need to be represented. But if it's about young people and uh, trying to encourage them away from drugs or criminal lifestyles or paramilitary influence or gang influence or, or whatever it is, then you want to involve the young people. But also that's probably of, of, of relevance to people across Northern Ireland. So you'd want to make sure that people are included from all three communities, minorities, within minorities. And that's why I said about the youth parliament as well, because issues like that 
really impact the under-18s and it can be really hard with um, ethics permissions and different things and voting ages to get the under-18s into this. In Scotland, they've managed uh, um, to 16, but beyond 16 then was difficult, but then they brought in this children's parliament. So that's why I think it might be a really nice idea to actually have this kind of youth parliament. So you've got a way of engaging young voices um, in these deliberations at, at different levels um, without all the, the kind of difficulty that, that's involved with trying to get individual young people for individual things then, you know. But that still raises the question about what the relationship be, would, should be with uh, politicians who've been elected into post. And uh, how do you deal with that? Because you mentioned in some cases that you might have politicians that would sit with the Assembly. Well, no, you see, I think that if you look at the Ost-Belgian model, um, they have the Citizens' Council, and one third of it is made up of politicians. And they're not deliberating on the issues. They're deliberating on what issue will be put to the different citizens' juries or citizens' assemblies. Um, and then those are made up 100% of, of citizens. So the in an ideal world, you would have representatives of all the political parties uh, there in that citizens' council. But if that were impossible, then it would be good to have uh, civic voices from um, all three and, and more communities who would be on it, as well as citizens, who would then be looking at um, you know, inputs from the citizen parliament, input from research, input from, um, you know, different ways to kind of think, well, what are the ones that we should run? What will we actually prioritise? Which deliberative events, which spaces will we go into this year and then do more the following year and, and so on? And is there a role for elected politicians during the sitting of the assemblies? Presumably you don't want them to be influenced negatively by the presence of politicians, but you want politicians to learn from the process. Well, yeah, there's absolutely a role for including um, politicians very much as, as sort of privileged observers. Um, you know, so they can come in, they can chat, they can understand uh, what is happening because you are asking them to, you know, to deal with it afterwards as a, as a really serious input. So they really need to see what is happening. So I think if they're on this kind of um, initial kind of council that oversees it, they're involved afterwards and they're very privileged observers within it. Um, in Scotland, for example, the, there's members of each political party around the, the stewarding group over the uh, the individual assemblies and then they get privileged observer status as well as understanding what evidence is going in advance and so on that seems to work very well for all of the political parties in uh, in scotland i mean as a researcher you seem very enthusiastic from the experience i mean it, it does seem from the outside to have really assisted ireland to move forward on some of the most difficult challenges that it faces politically yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely it has. Man. But, you know, and I also want, you know, stress again that there's, you know, problems with some of it. You know, there can be, if something is very contentious, it can be very difficult to get people from both sides. So you really have to work on that. There's lots of questions around, you know, do you select on people's attitude to the issue? Do you just select on uh, demographics? There's lots of questions around making sure that things are neutral. But I think if well run, um, and if carefully safeguarded and if evaluated well and so on, then allowing people the potential to deliberate, allowing them the potential to 
engage with evidence to potentially change their mind to think about the other side a little bit more um then this this is a kind of a normative good for me you know what i mean to to kind of uh i suppose increase the amount of deliberation in any political system jane suter thank you very much indeed that is really excellent thank you very much okay paul uh, so jane and Dante a lot of detail there on the citizens assemblies I, I thought it was really interesting her view that citizens assembly provide a shortcut they look at it particularly difficult issues but also they bring a legitimacy to the information that's presented there yeah and as well as that Jared, i think it's very useful to hear someone who's so involved deal with the criticisms of citizens' assemblies, because I think we do have to be clear. We heard, heard Simon Hoare in the, in the first of this series of podcasts, who's of course the chair of the Northern Ireland Select Committee in the House of Commons, that Simon was saying that he, he was uh, very skeptical about citizens' assemblies, that he feels it's the role of the elected politician to put forward the views of constituents and citizens' assemblies undermine that and it was a very similar view that we heard in one of the previous series by Simon Hamilton when he was a DUP politician that you do have those concerns about people from a, a, if you like an ideological part of the political outlook who are concerned about citizens assemblies but I think Jane made some really useful points about how she sees them as not undermining the role of the elected political representatives, but rather enhancing their role by giving more information and giving citizens a more, uh, an opportunity to be more reflective in passing on their views to politicians. Yeah, and, and she did mention that some politicians, when they engage with people through the process, were surprised at the in-depth knowledge or the passion that people brought to some of the issues as well. I thought that was good. She goes on to talk about other models, slightly different than citizens' assemblies as well, that could be useful here around, uh, it's like the Belgian model that she talked about around juries and self-selecting smaller um, forums. They look at issues as well. That That's also something that we've talked about in the past. Absolutely. I remember Martin McGill uh, from Falls Road, uh, Father Martin McGill, talking about his preference for uh, participatory budgeting, for example. So there are various ways in which you can bring people to be more engaged in the process. Uh, and they're not necessarily conflicting. They're not necessarily undermining the role of the poly elected politician, but there are different ways of doing things. And some of them work very well. Yeah. Okay. So we hope you enjoyed that conversation uh, that Paul had with Jane there and are now fully informed about Citizens Assemblies and we'll back any that happen in the future. Um, so thanks to Jane uh, for taking the time to meet with Paul and thanks to the Community Relations Council for continuing to support this podcast and all in the Hollywell Trust team and we'll talk to you again soon. <laughs>